Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yes! What is up, everyone? My voice cracked there. And welcome to John Woolenack's favorite podcast at Soccer Week Trust. Oh, Jimmy Crash. Trash can? Crash can? Dude, it's early here in Sydney, but I'm Jimmy Conrad, also known as Conradinho. And I'm here with Hollywood Heath Pierce, also known as the Heartbreak Kid. And no Charlie, because it's Tuesday, and apparently he can't do Tuesdays, because that's just how Chuck rolls, Heath Pierce. But we have a lot to talk about Women's World Cup stuff. We have transfers, most notably in Serie A. We got MLS doing some business with Saudi Arabia. That's fun. We have Leagues Cup stuff to talk about. Yunus Musa, which is part of the Serie A transfer stuff. Bruce Arena making the news. Matt Turner. We got it's a lot. It's a lot mm-hmm. packed through our little tiny show here that we appreciate everybody's support. Thank you for listening. And I'll do my best not to crack my voice anymore because I've clearly am still a teenager. So Heath, talk to me. What what do you what do you got cooking? We're gonna get into the women's world cup, but but give me your temperature overall. How are you feeling? I'm feeling all right. I think just for today, we can call our trust funders the trustees because uh, our boy Austin is uh, on the move permanently. Uh, oh, another nice one. one to talk about. But uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay, Jimmy. Thought I had another little hamstring uh, scare with my the old hammy of mine. Turns out uh, just a little misfire, and I'm doing good. So, you know, I, as you know, Jimmy, and anybody who's played any sport for most of their life uh, and is programmed into their into their scheduling, when you don't get that or when you get injured, it can have an overall effect on everything you do for the rest of the day. Uh, so for it to not be another hamstring tear, I'm pretty happy, you know? Okay, so what happened? I mean, we need details. Were you just, were you just an no, old guy just, and you were just reaching yeah, for something? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, some of the beach sports that I play on sand, you know, you're kind of constantly on unlevel surfaces and to like when you have that long sprint off of like a serve or anything like that, just that extension um, gave me a little a little misfire, kind of told me like, hey, man, you did, you went hard on me yesterday. Just maybe chill out today. And I was hoping it wasn't a pull because um, I had one a couple months ago, but it turns out it, 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 it's it's OK. So I, I say that jokingly but semi seriously that I would be in a completely different mood if if I was like going to be out of sports for for a month even though I'm 38 like I still I still need to be active at some portion whether it's for a minute or for an hour a day uh for me to have like the right mindset I, I get know. that I, I get that 100 yeah no 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 it's definitely a place 
where I don't know, there's some safety in, in going to work out for us. I feel like yeah. where it, it you get to get out of your whatever mindset you're in and you can just focus on that. We get back into that singular focus. And this is probably more for a dad podcast, I think, down the line, but I do think it's important mm-hmm. to find uh, for for the mental health, right? To make sure that we're still moving. Uh, I'll tell you who didn't really, work really out important. today. Carly Lloyd didn't work out today, Jimmy. <laughs> what a transition. Had, she was still wearing that frustration. Uh, you know, and she didn't get that out over in the gym or in a little pickup game, uh, like I like to do. She definitely missed that one today. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the U.S. Women's National Team. And I guess we can start with Carly Lloyd, who is very frustrated in their 0-0 performance in uh, the last group stage game in Group E to see if they could get into, well, at least get first out of the group, because now going second puts them in a much uh, harder path to to win the three-peat. But Carly said this on TV. She said, uh, I have never witnessed something like that before. You're lucky to not be going home right now amongst amongst." A lot of comments that she made. She was upset afterwards. And I actually want to get into this part of it because maybe we'll reverse engineer. So so the women finished 0-0 for those that are unaware. It was in the middle of the night for a lot of you. And it was enough to squeak into the round of 16. Netherlands had done more than enough. They beat Vietnam 7-0. So it was going to have to be a monumental task to beat a, a pretty feisty Portugal team that we all knew that was going to be the one, Heath, that was going to be the most difficult. Mm-hmm. Vietnam was going to be a walkover. Netherlands, obviously, you're going to want revenge after us. We beat them in the, in the final in 2019. And also, when we beat them in the Olympics, we're also a different team from those two versions. And then, mm-hmm. and then you take on a Portugal team that's improving immensely. And I think it's another sign that, that the gap is closing. But there was some dancing and smiling by some of the older players. Initially, I think Carly started her, her criticism of the younger players not showing up on the biggest stage. And that's why they're here. And so I'm paraphrasing her. And then, and then, and maybe I'm softening her statements. <laughs> and then they showed footage while she was in the middle of her criticism of Megan Rapino and Crystal Dunn smiling and having fun and dancing because I think they were just trying to celebrate that they got into the next round. Yeah. I want your thoughts on that because I think it's getting blown out of proportion. I believe that Megan knew the camera and cameras were on her and there was a choice by the older players that, Hey, we didn't play well. Our younger players, we have 14 new players in this Heath that, that are playing in a world cup for the first time. That's a lot actually. Mm-hmm. And the vibes must not be good. And I think that Megan and Crystal Dunn and some of the other older players have taken it upon themselves to say, we got to change the vibes here. This is the vibes aren't good. And what's we have to get through this. It was a it was a Megan talked after the game. It wasn't a great performance, but we got to continue to move forward. So I think there was there was a choice there to try to to try to change the mood. And the older players are trying to do that. And maybe it wasn't the right time for Carly, but I get what they were trying to do. It, it felt like there was a method behind that madness. It wasn't just because they want to be Instagram stars or building their brands or any of that crap. I, I think it was more purposeful than that. What do you say? Yeah, look, I think the performance was crap, right? First and foremost, I thought it was a bad performance. I think they haven't played well at all in this tournament. tournament. Well, Um, maybe the second second half against the Dutch, I thought was all right. Yeah, yeah. but like for the U.S., who are the gold standard of things, you expect a certain level of comfort uh, in what they do. And and I agree with her that they were a post away from going home. Having said that, when you go through those motions in something – that big, I, I I go back to the fact that I did that the, the Galaxy Vancouver game the other day, and Vancouver got absolutely battered for most of the game. They got two half chances, scored them, and went through the next round, knocked the Galaxy out, right? And they celebrated 
like it was a massive moment, right? The way that the team, the bench, and everybody, and they played horribly, right? And it's like it's it's like that that the the I think the 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 spoiled mentality to think that because they didn't play well, even though they advanced, they shouldn't have a right. Like the U.S. men's team should never have a right to celebrate when they go to on to the next knockout rounds because of the way in which they qualified for the knockout rounds. I think that part is is wrong. I think you celebrate those wins because. With those high highs come the potential low lows, right? And if this if this team falls short, they will get their moment. They will get their cake. They will have to eat that, you know. Um, so in a moment like this, like you said, you can you can take something and lift out of it. Maybe there was a little bit of arrogance woven into it, as if like we had this all along. I don't know. I try not to read. Into I, I that. don't. I actually so, don't think that at all. I, I I believe that we have players that have been around enough to know when they play like shit and when they don't. And this felt purposeful to me where we can go and wallow and have sad faces. And when you saw after the game that Kelly O'Hara get in the, the, the little team huddle and like getting after it. Yeah. And they spoke to her after the game and she said, we have to just move forward. We, we accomplished the goal of getting into the knockout round. Yes, we didn't finish first. That would have been ideal, but we're finishing second. And, and when I'm here in Sydney, I'm doing work with Heather O'Reilly and Leslie Osborne and former women's national team players. And they say that this tournament is split into two. There's the group stage and then there's the knockout rounds. Yeah. And they had a slow start in 2015 as well. And then it started to click for them in the knockout rounds and they took off. And they, but they still, but, but they still grinded in a lot of those games. You talk I get that. I get Spain. that. I get that. You talk about France, you talk about the, the England game. Like it is, it, uh, I do think the rest of the world is, is catching up. I do think that the style of play technically from other parts of the world is superior to the U S over the athleticism. I, I agree with that. You watch Portugal and, and some of their combination plays of like moving the ball, seven, eight passes in, out, out the other side, just yeah, some of right, that right, patterns right, right. of play really clean, right? Really crisp at times. I agree so, with so, some of that sort of stuff, but okay. we are now in the knockout rounds and it's a whole new tournament and you can, you can either like, live in the depths of despair of the way in which you got there, or you can use that as a learning. Like you said, a slow start doesn't mean that they're out. They could, right, it just takes right. them able to click at one moment. You know, maybe it's the coach, maybe it's the players, whatever it is, it's not good enough so far, but they get a second chance now. And I think there is some reason to be excited about that. You can criticize. They played like crap. I don't, I don't disagree. Criticize the performance. No, I get it. Now I get knockout it. Rounds with the new I, 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 yes. And, and obviously anytime there's a performance that looked that lackluster, and it was a we've seen it pretty consistently, Heath. What's it, what's kind of worrying for me is the fact that we know that we're starting slow. And Lindsay Horan, co-captain, says we are starting slow. We got to figure that out before this last game. And they still come out and start slow. Maybe they pressed a little bit for the first four or five minutes, but you and I have been on the field enough to know that if you run into an opponent and all of a sudden the press, I'm using air quotes for those that can't see us. The press that you have, and they play through it a couple times, you're not pressing anymore, dude. And and I feel like Portugal demonstrated that they can hold the ball under pressure. And once they make a couple telling passes, you have to adapt to that. The problem is, it feels like we have a plan A, and we've talked about this with the men's national team, and, and then we don't we don't settle into a plan B quick enough. Right. And that falls on the coaching. And and I don't think Vlaco should have had the job after the Olympics. You could see signs of this lack of cohesion or or an understanding of how we're going to move or, or how we're going to adjust in that tournament. In that first game, just to remind everybody, 
We got absolutely slapped by Sweden 3-0 in that first game. It, it wasn't even close. There was only one team on the field, and they, and they beat us. And then when you go through the tournament, very similar to this. It's just like we're not, we're not like flexing on them like we used to. We're not flexing on teams like we are the defending back-to-back champs of this competition. And we didn't look very good in the Olympics either. And I remember thinking after that tournament, after we lost to Canada in the in the semifinal, I know we won the bronze, but but it just something was off. And I was surprised that we retained Vlaco. But okay. You know, it's but there was Jimmy in 2019 was the same thing. It was either for or against Jill Ellis, from what I understood of this team. Nobody wanted to play for Jill Ellis. They came together as a group, either for or against her to win that World Cup, right? I think there's always going to be a question about the coaches. I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you. They've got a bunch of uh, brand new players uh, in this World Cup as well. And and they're not playing well. I fully agree with all of that. But at a certain point, those players also have to be like players unable to solve problems in real time and understand. I think some I, of that's tactics, right? The way in which yeah, they yeah, set yeah. up because they got smacked in the face a bunch of times where they just couldn't find a rhythm, right? And when they did, it was a simple first pass, second pass, and then the third pass was ball out of bounds, you know, not right, sharp, right. those types of things like right. little details where it just looks sluggish. It looks a little tired. It looks a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and now this is about the young players and the inexperience. 2019 was about, uh, we've got all this experience and are we too old? Do we, you know, like, is, is it time for the new guard? Is it whatever? And somehow they were able to find a way, like you said, in the knockout round. So they get knocked out early. It's a failure, right? This is the, this is the top team in the world and they're going for back to back to back. You can't under, um, credit what's gotten them to this point, but no one in this tournament clearly respects them or owes them anything. And that's going to well, be yeah, that's, hopefully that's a motivator too. for them um, in the knockout rounds. That's like, hey, no one's going to let us cruise. Uh, do I do I think it's an issue when people complain about their dancing and excitement? No, I don't. Like, they are, they, is it too far sometimes given the time and place? Maybe, but it doesn't matter. Judge them based on the field, you know? Don't tell right, them like, right, oh, you right. can dance only when you win the tournament. Like, Every one of these teams, except for one, will lose this tournament. But you can still take in the moment. You can still enjoy. You can still be yourself as a personality. I know there's a thin line to that. I'm not trying to. I get play it. No, no, I get it. I get it. Modern era, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I we have to say this part of the conversation, and and uh, <laughs> for for me, that's you know, or if anyone is in a hot take mode, it's probably not fun to think about this side of it. But we have to give Vlaco. There's got to be a little bit of fairness here because he's missing some pretty significant players Heath and his team but I will come at him here after I say this because Serena Wiegman the manager of England is missing some significant players as well and she's figuring it out and they've adapted to her tactics and they were excellent in their last game and so they're kind of looking like favorites to me or contenders for sure but but we're missing Becky Sauerbrunn who would solve a lot of problems because if Becky Sauerbrunn was in the team right she would be the captain and that would push Julie Ertz into midfield thinking about an Ertz Lindsay Horan and Rose Lavelle midfield is pretty sick, right? And even though we asked for these changes in this third game and we got Rose Lavelle to start after Vlaco started the same exact lineup for two consecutive games, we got Lynn Williams in the team. It didn't necessarily look more fluid. Like we all thought it would. So, so he kind of, kind of met us halfway there and, and it still didn't look great, but I think that falls onto his tactics a little bit because the movements looked a little, little stale, a lot of standing around, felt very individual and and that's what we, I think the vibe is about the team overall we're, we're playing against teams that have 
a little bit more vibrancy when they're when they're playing as a team. Maybe they know that because they don't have those out and out superstars like we've had and, and have. But so so anyway, you got Becky Sauerbrunn. You're missing Kat Macario, who I know she hasn't played for a really long time, so probably never really in the mix. But world class talent. You got Mallory Swanson. That would have changed the game. You have, uh, I know I'm missing others. You got Sammy Mewis, uh, Kristen Press. You know, if she had gotten her knee stuff sorted out, obviously she's got experience and would have helped the depth in the team if you didn't start her. And and you have all these pretty significant players that I think would have changed the complexion of the team. That said, I get it. Everybody has, everybody has injury concerns. It's part of it, but it just feels like that needs to be taken into consideration. Also, Vlaco, I think, Keith, is working through a pretty significant transition in the women's national team where you're having these, these older players that have had so much success and you're trying to bring in this new generation of players that, that are still trying to learn what it means to wear that shirt and, and everything that comes with it, including criticism from Carly Lloyd. So, so there's a couple things that are happening now and we're just not playing well. And, and also I just don't know if Flacco's the guy. Uh, so, so you got kind of this perfect storm of all these different things. And, and now we're seeing performances that reflect that. That said, given the amount of talent we have on our team, you just want to see a little bit more and, and potentially see other players get a shot because there are the Ashley Sanchez of the world, uh, Sofia Huerta. I mean, they're probably chomping at the bit to get their chance and maybe prove that they're the right fit to make this team look a little bit better. But that's uh, I don't know. I don't know yeah. where you want to jump in there. No, my, my, my final thought on on this, at least this this particular topic is I know that that, you know, we, we started it with um, with uh, what's her name on 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 Fox. That's Carly Lloyd, Carly Lloyd. And uh, I know for a fact she's not always been super well liked. I've worked with her, never had the best of experiences. Those are my small interactions. I know she wasn't well loved by by teammates and things like that. But I do appreciate the criticism of this women's national team because I think when I go back to 2019, there wasn't a lot and they were teetering, right? They were on the brink of something bad. They ended up winning through. Great. But along the way, we kind of swept some of these weaknesses under the rug because we're like, these are the greatest ever. Who am I? You know, right. Just right, a, right. A, somebody who, you know, played some with the men's national team, who am I to criticize the best ever. Right. And, and the women's national team. So I do appreciate us opening up that door or her opening up that door or anybody who's criticizing now to opening up that door to, Hey, maybe, maybe this criticism should have started earlier. And I'm, I know there's been plenty, but like at a scale of that size, I can appreciate that, uh, that conversation and that, that willingness to go out there and say things that, I think people have probably wanted to say for some time, but results have always ended up going against, you know, anybody's willingness to take the chance to, 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 to criticize what's been a pretty bulletproof group over the last, you know, what, eight, nine, 11 years. No, no, no. I, when I think about Carly Lloyd's comments, I think that she's still too close to the team. Uh, not, not necessarily with the players per se, but just so too close to playing. You and I both been there, right? When you first retire or if you're, you're still tethered to it a bit, and you see a former team of yours having success. I feel like right now, Carly, they could win five zero and Carly be like, well, but they didn't yeah. do this, this, and this, you know? And, and when I hear former players give analysis in that way, I know that they're still holding on to wanting to be a player themselves. We got a so, few on the so, men's side. We got a few on the men's side, Jimmy. And we talk about, we talk about it all the time that just can't let that go and are just never there. Uh, only there for the bad times, you know, regardless of how good it is. It's yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, if I take the 10,000 foot view of it, that's, that's what it looks like 
I yeah, it's what she says is irrefutable. Some of the yeah, of course, yeah, we got saved by the post, and my my stomach was in, uh, I mean, my throat or whatever. I was just I was in my feelings when that happened because that would have been so significant for us to get knocked out in the group stages. But we, we didn't lost. No, we didn't. We lost. We've lost one group stage game in nine World Cups. In tw- I mean, it just would have been so yeah. incredibly but, significant. Yeah, I, but whatever, I, I, whatever. whatever. I, my 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 thought on that though, Jimmy, is that it's a game of margins. Welcome it is to the a game World of Cup. It always has. It always has. The been, U.S. But... could have lost multiple games in the last World Cup. It's a That's game of true. margins. Goalkeeper makes a big save. Somebody doesn't finish. Look at any game anywhere. The era of the U.S. just literally top to bottom dominating every single game is That's gone. over. It is That's a gone. game of margins. Yeah. Now, they've played horribly for the most part. They haven't played up to the standard or the quality that they actually do have. But it is a game of margins. It hit the post. It went out. The U.S. went through. Boom. That's end of discussion. You can right, say it right. all you want of what right, could have right, been. Right, right. And if it was like the U.S. getting knocked out by, by the Netherlands on the men's side or the U.S. not qualifying for 2018, you go, yeah, that's that's for right, real. Right. There is no coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. But you know how it is when it comes down to margins. Sometimes you're just grateful yeah. to get out of it. and You go, hey, doesn't matter. We won. I don't care. Yeah, on the field stuff, totally understand the criticism. Dancing or whatever doesn't really do much for me. I think there was a real movement just to tie this all back to what I originally said. That that's a, a play by the older players. Like we need to change the the feeling of how this is going because it's not going very well, and and uh, somewhat maybe even a sign that that Blacko is not pushing the right buttons. But I've heard he's not the the biggest like rah rah guy. So you need a couple rah rahs in there to kind of balance out what the coach is doing. Anyway, if you want more U.S. Women's National Team news, head over to the Attacking Third. That is happening every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Golasso Network. They're going to continue this conversation, and it's always great to hear their Where can I catch the rest of the tournament, Jimmy? The rest of the tournament? Guess what, everybody? we got to have a lot of big games. The U.S. is most likely going to play Sweden in the round of 16 in Melbourne, and you can catch all the action on Fox and the Fox Sports app. All right, we're going to take our first break. Jimmy's been there for a week, and he said Melbourne. No, two weeks, you bastard. Two weeks. weeks. Now Now it's not Melbourne anymore. It's Melbourne. Hey, when you start saying it wrong for a few times and you get you get the side eye from enough. I got corrected. I got corrected like 10 years ago by somebody, and I, I haven't forgot saying No, you don't. They, they studied abroad in Melbourne. I was like, where is that? You know, and I got <laughs> I got corrected and uh you, I get it. What's yeah. funny is that you have Brisbane, which yeah. is spelled with a B-A-N-E, and then you have Melbourne, and it's still pronounced the same. Brisbane and Melbourne, and yeah. you know what? That's what like, they do it here in the like, land of Oz. Uh, like do? like Bunmouth in uh the Premier League. Lester. Anyway, we're going to take our first break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we got some transfer news to get into, so do not go anywhere. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pearson. No Charlie Davies, which... uh, it's a great running joke. I feel like we should get a T-shirt that says "No Charlie Davis." Uh, we're we're having a great time here. Well, we were until we talked about the U.S. Women's National Team, but they're going to get it together. I hope. Fingers crossed. Sweden's going to be a tough opponent, assuming we take them on, which I think that we will. But let's let's focus on uh, some transfers here. Heath Yunus Musa officially signs for Milan, which is fantastic because he's going to be teammates with Christian Pulisic. And apparently he just has to go get his physical done in, in Milan. And uh, that's pretty sweet. we got a lot, bunch of Americans in Serie A and at big clubs, of course. we got Balogun. Fuller and Balogun is linked with uh, AC Milan's rival Inter. Apparently they're asking Arsenal to drop their asking price. So that would be interesting to see uh, Balogun in Serie A as well. And as a reminder, I should say this, uh, Serie A kicks off on August 19th. AC Milan play Bologna on the 21st. Just to get everybody ready for this, circle it on your calendar, and you can watch it all exclusively on Paramount Plus. So make sure you go make that happen. What are you saying about uh, Balogun to Inter? Let's start there, and then we can get into the Yunus Musa stuff. At least for me as a fan, um, having a destination where I can watch most of my national team players play is a great thing. And then when you add that that's, to the fact awesome. that that they're in the biggest clubs, I think that's an even better one because you know it's 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 a uh, Gone are the days where, you know, we had Michael Bradley at Kievo and um, is a little bit harder to find. But now you can, you know, obviously watch it on Paramount Plus and and, and get all, all of these guys with Musa, with Milan. And would have been nice to see Musa with Milan during uh, at the game that I went to, uh, I guess, a week ago um, in uh, in Los Angeles. It was AC Milan Real Madrid game, um, but there'll be plenty of time to get him integrated into the squad. And then right, Bal- right. Balogun again, asking asking them to drop the price is is fair. I mean, it's a pretty big asking price for a guy who, again, is really only had one good season, one full season, right? And he's he's exceeded expectations, but it's a big lift. It's not like he's done two years somewhere or he's done, you know, however right, much right. time to to prove that, like, you know, he's a halfway to 100 million type of player. Do you, do you feel like Arsenal are just trying to cash in on the hype? That's what it feels like without really giving him a chance to maybe you know, spread his wings in, in Premier League. So I think I, they'll sell him for sure. I just think that, you know, that is a big asking price. I would yeah. say I was, if I was in charge, I'd do the same thing. Like, okay, we, we, to your point, we saw him do it for one season. He's the first American to ever score 20 plus goals in a top five European league. That's great. Though France is France, even a top five European league anymore. I think they oh, dropped now, it it's, now it's six. Now they're like, they're like six seven. or seven now, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we all know that it's, it's a very competitive league. And he did it for a team that, was always going to be mid table, even though they've had they had a great run with Will Still, their their young manager in there. And so 
I think that there are a lot of people that want to see him do it again, potentially in a different league to, to prove that he's worth that value. I mean, that's, but you look at Jonathan David and he did, he did 15. What, what, what were his numbers? He had in the Jonathan league, David's had, done it for a couple of seasons. He had 13, he had 15 and then he had 24 for Lille in all three of those, those, those seasons. Right. And, and so that's a lot of goals uh, to score and continue to improve 13, three, 15, right, right, oh, sorry, right. 13 goals, 15 goals, 24 goals. I mean, that's the kind of guy where you're like, okay, he's bonafide. Somebody right. going to get paid I'm willing a lot to invest guy. 40 yeah. to 50 million for him. I agree yeah. with you. This I mean, he was at eight, he was, he was eight, I think he was 80 at one point to be fair, but like I think that's why he's been at Lille because I don't think anybody's even met that asking price. So he's probably closer right, which, to that that range. Yeah, maybe. But I but this is obviously we're not knocking Balogun at all. We, we want to see him move and go to a club that values him and gets him some playing time. But I do think if you are a suitor, you just want to have a little more experience there to prove that that's the value. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get caught overpaying for a particular player. Now I'm speaking hypothetically because we know that Balogun is the goods. All right, let's talk about Yunus Musa. Uh, AC Milan plays Barcelona tonight uh, in the U.S. So keep your eyes out on that. We'll see if Christian Pulisic gets to start once again. I think that he will. I, you know what's been pretty cool about this Pulisic to Milan stuff is that Rafael Leao has come out and been a huge supporter of Pulisic, like really loves his game, thinks he's a, he's a great signing, that he can beat one or two players and and really hopefully create some space for himself. And, and I'm paraphrasing now for Rafael Leao, but but really gushing with adoration for, for Christian. Now they've signed Samuel Chukwesi, who has, they're kind of liking him as a, I don't say poor man's version of Leao, but but has a little bit of that shiftiness that Leao has and and gives him maybe that that proper winger on either side of, of Giroud. But it makes me wonder what happens to Pulisic if Chukwesi does come good uh, because we know that he can be inconsistent at times when he was with Villarreal. You can see that he's a tremendous player. He's 24 years old, so he's the same age as Christian. So it seems like they're trying to get a little bit younger and, and or necessarily too young because they've signed some players that are younger, AC Milan, but but now finding those those players that are trying to get into about their primes, as it were. So it's interesting. I mean, whatever. Competition, you go to a big club, it's what's going to happen. But focusing on Yunus Musa, he's going to come into a team. And I wonder where Stefano Pioli, the manager, is going to set him up and play. They got Krunic uh, sitting in that holding midfield spot. You got Ruben Loftus-Cheek. You got Ben Asser, You got, uh, I know that Tonali left. So so that's obviously given him the money to sign all these players. But um, yeah, talk to me about where you think Yunus Musa fits. I, because I, I still wonder how they're going to utilize him. The good thing about Yunus Musa, I mean, I think he's, I think he's in a somewhere in the midfield three, right? I think, I think um, that makes the most sense. I don't really see, and we saw this with Weston thinking he would be a little bit deeper, and he ended up playing that first season a little bit connect more connected to the strikers as sort of a high eight and a half or a, you know, a poor man's ten type of thing. Um, I don't think Musa's that guy. I'd love him more connected to the ball, but like you said, with Tonali gone there is there is competition for space now um and somebody who's got a name that we all know and recognize is going to be left out of the lineup uh and so it'll be interesting to see how he can compete but they're spending money on him and so you know they're they're i think i think 20 million is a good price for Yunus musa he's only 20 years old he's played 108 games for valencia over Mm -hmm. the last three seasons five goals and as we mentioned before in a previous podcast you is know, it? Has he played 108 games? Yeah, that's, that's what I read. Yeah, it's a lot. 20 year olds. That's a lot of games at a, at a high level, and it's not like they're taking a flyer on a on a on a 20 year old who has right. had had limited minutes. They're actually getting 
a kid who's been around playing the World Cup and uh, continues to get better every time we see him play. And and now has shown in the Nations League that he can also sit in a six and, and provide some value there for you as well. So clearly got a, a great IQ for the game, and and uh, that's been on display for a long time. Now, how does Pioli bring him in and and utilize his gifts? That's going to be that's going to be the challenge. But he's going to a club with some some competition, as it should be if you're going to go to a big club. And and uh, I hope that he gets a fair crack at it. I guess that's kind of where I'm starting. I mean, you sign him, of course, but sometimes you know managers bring you in like, oh, well, it's like a year project because we've seen it with some of their other players, with Salamakers who never really made. He's gotten his opportunities, but maybe hasn't taken them. So that's more on the yeah. player than it is the coach. And then you have, uh, uh, was it Dequette Delaria, who also hasn't really made his mark, but had a few chances. So I hope that Eunice doesn't fall into that space where, or the Serginio Dest space, where uh, we'll bring you in. You seem like you got something to you. And then they realize quickly that that uh, you don't really fit. And then they never play you and then never dress you anymore. So I don't think Eunice falls into that camp. But yeah, but what, I, what, I do have worries about about it a little bit. What I do like about our a core of our American or U.S. national team players playing in Italy is just the tactical demands. And I know I mentioned this before, but when I played with Marco Di Vaio and I played with Matteo Ferrari, who had spent most of their careers playing in Serie A, there is a completely different tactical world that happens in Syria and the demand for tactics and the sort of overemphasis on making the game more simple through through tactics and the buy-in that was 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 demanding just positionally like I had played in back threes I'd played in back fours and and things like that but I'd never played in a system like that before so the education and learning something new to challenge our players to give them more tools I think is a massive opportunity I don't want to paint a, a full picture of what Serie A is, but it is very tactical in terms of the demands uh, and the way that they play. And most you, leagues are tactical, but but there is a, you know, you don't get to like sort of skirt around the tactics when you play in Italy. Well, I think that's what hurt Sergio Dest, to be honest. I don't know why, because we can all see what he can bring to the table, but if you don't have that discipline, that positional discipline to understand your job on both sides of the ball and with or without the ball, you're just not going to get that same respect. So yes, it might not be as tactical as it once was when they were kind of known for the Catanaccio, but I still think, especially because the managers grew up in that environment, most of the managers in Serie A are Italian or, or played in the league for a long time. There seems to be an emphasis on, you have to have this foundational understanding of tactics so that if I shift you in a different way, or if there's like, we want you to start in a different starting position, like you just understand there's a shorthand, I think, to understanding how how they move. And I could see players getting lost there if you don't have that tactical acumen. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what Serginho Dest didn't play, but but I get the sense there was a little bit of that because we've seen him lack that ta- tactical discipline yeah. at times. That's all. Absolutely. That's all yeah. I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's move over to the Premier League. This one gets me a little bit concerned because Matt Turner is apparently on the move with Arsenal reportedly bringing in David Raya from Brentford, who is a pretty sick goalkeeper when he gets going, and, and that would be a big loss for Brentford. But he comes in to be the backup to Ramsdale. I wonder what they're promising him with regard to that, if, if Arteta is going in on Raya. And then uh, it looks like Matt Turner, who's 29, by the way, so I can understand if they wanted to get a little younger, but they signed him. I don't know. It's kind of a weird deal. But it looks like he might be going to Nottingham Forest, and I think Nottingham Forest is waiting to see what happens with Dean Henderson. So there's a, there's just seems to be this domino game going on there, Heath Pierce. And then uh, Ethan Horvath's Forrest future remains unclear, even though I think 
he was looking for a championship club that so so a little bit of that that's going on and and uh, we got some Petrovich stuff out of the New England Revolution because I think Nottingham Forest was looking at Petrovich as well and, and the Revolution are blocking it saying they want to keep him throughout the whole season Petrovich wants to leave now so it's all getting kind of sticky and somehow the Revolution might be I don't know man this is but but let's get back to the court Matt Turner's on the move. And if Arteta is looking elsewhere, that's a sign that they don't really see Turner being the future and that Ramsdale's ultimately won the number one job. So what do you think Matt should do there, Heath Pierce? Oh, I think he's got to move. Uh, I think for his own ambition, whatever, I think he's had a good period there. I actually do think, although he's lacked significant playing time, he's gotten a lot better as a player. Um, with his I agree with that. In that environment, he's just, he has... You know, it would be really easy for him to disappear in an arsenal where you could sign multiple goalkeepers and have have them come in as and sit as the three and like that sort of thing and whatever. But he 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 stepped up and he's gotten a lot better. And now I think for his own ambition, he should be wanting to go somewhere where he can play, whether that's in the championship or in the Premier League or even out of out of the league. And and if you're Arsenal, knowing that you've got to be probably 30 deep if you want to have the opportunity to win a trophy across multiple competitions. Uh, I don't know if Matt Turner has, has always had the best performances, right. When we've seen him, um, although he has been good, although he has gotten better, you got to think about the arsenal standard, knowing that like, if it wasn't for living in the generation of city, you're talking about the premier league champions. You're talking about one of the top five teams probably in the world last year. Um, and so there's always going to be, a conversation about making your squad deeper and better um, that might come at the detriment of us. So if, if he has the opportunity to be able to get out and go somewhere else where he can benefit better that than the sit as like a number three um, on a roster, you know? Yeah. I, I think that force would be an interesting move. And I wonder how much trust, I mean, would he come in as the number one? Is he coming in to compete? Uh, I wonder what that looks like. And is that competition going to be fair? Cause obviously the arsenal competition wasn't a competition. It felt, obviously very slanted to Ramsdale. He didn't play any minutes in the Premier League. And and as the Europa League went on, and we all thought that Turner should have been in those games because he played the majority of them uh, through the group stages, that Ramsdale made some mistakes that ultimately cost them uh, getting knocked out in that competition. So mm -hmm. that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And when you speak about ambition, I wonder, speaking about Matt in particular, if he thinks that going to the championship would be a drop down. And at some point, I think you have to accept, like, if I want to play, that's probably going to be the best place for me to do it. Not to say, he, I, I mean, I think he could play all over. Again, this is an, an indictment on Matt and his talent, but it might just be hard to garner that interest, especially if a lot of teams already have what they have. But Forrest is an interesting one, and I hope, because they survived in the Premier League, what that investment looks like going into this, and would he get a fair shot? It's very similar to Eunice. You just want to yeah. make sure our players are Forrest getting, are getting a, a real crack at it, you know? They've got a difficult owner. I know that. Obviously, we had American. Uh, Dane Murphy was the CEO there uh, for a good amount of time, and he walked away. I think there's a lot of complexities um, with the ownership group and, and the team. But, I mean, you take all that aside, that's from a very skewed point of view from somebody who was within the offices of that versus being a player. That, Like right. you said, you just want to be able to go somewhere where you can compete or at least prove yourself uh, if you're not getting this, the number one when you come in, an opportunity to say, hey, but if I'm out, if I'm out performing, because goalkeeper is like either you're in or you're out type of thing, you know, either you, it's not so much that somebody earns it, it's that the starter gives it up, you know, like they they right. open the door for competition versus it being like a week in, week out, how you do in training type of thing, like you see with other positions potentially. Right. Well, speaking of 
Goalkeepers, as I mentioned before, uh, Jordi Petrovic from the New England Revolution isn't happy. He wants to make a move, and he's reportedly sitting out of training, so we'll keep everybody posted on that. And then I think there's a couple other transfers that are interesting. That Lucas Zellorayan from the Columbus Crew secured a deal to move to the Saudi Arabian League to Al Fateh. And, and apparently it wasn't for that much money. Heath for two and a half million dollars. And he I know he's 31, but he's I find that interesting. Now, now I'm a huge Wilfred Nancy fan. I think that guy is a hell of a coach and the, and the crew look fantastic and inspired. And it's a lot of fun to see how they've been performing this season under Nancy as coach. And he he already shown signs of what he could do at Montreal prior to taking this job from Caleb Porter. But kind of just like letting Zellerine go. Clearly, they have a plan in place and, and trying to transition away from him. He only had and, one year, one I guess one and a quarter years left on his contract. And, and yeah, that's you know, true. And maybe it wasn't like a, two and a half million. Is that really going to move the needle? But I think if you're trying to just kind of move on without him, let's let's leave the money out of it just from a build team building perspective, then maybe it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you never know what what the actual intention was. It could have been a life-changing opportunity for Zellerion, and he was really forcing it or pushing it, and that's what they're willing to pay. I certainly think the Saudis have more money than that um, <laughs> if, they, if, if they wanted to. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an interesting one and definitely feels like it's on the lower end. Again, I think he's past sort of the peak of, of, of his career in terms of market valuation uh, with one year left on the contract, you know, I don't know. Right, I, I'm right. Trying to, I'm trying. I, I guess mentally, I'm trying to justify it. It does seem really low considering the standard right now in Major League Soccer and what what the fees are. But um, not sure. Not sure. Who knows if there's like something yeah. else involved in the deal yeah. of some kind? Yeah, it's interesting. And then finally, LAFC or former LAFC striker, another one because Chicho Arango came back from Mexico and went to Real Salt Lake, and now we have Diego Rossi who is looking to come back from Fenerbahce, I believe, from the Turkish Super League and signing with the Columbus crew. Mm. So clearly there was some method to that madness if they're going to uh, allow Zello Rayon to leave and get Diego Rossi back into it. What are your thoughts on that? All these LAFC strikers coming back into the league and playing for different teams. I mean, it, it shows you, one, the success that LAFC has had is not accidental, right? They're putting some of these guys on the map. Uh, Diego Rossi was so good during his time and then obviously immediately... Chicho Rongo made Diego Rossi uh, surplus, you know, and and the quality that Chicho Rongo had. He leaves because now you've got uh, Denis Buanga who comes in, and you've got Carlos Vela playing more like a striker, and, and so potentially see- potentially Chucky Lozano's coming into LAFC, yeah, who said yeah. his goodbyes to Napoli, by the way. So he's definitely on the move. Yep, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, it's good. It's good to have those players. That I mean, if you think about it. And you're a club, right? You're like, ah, I'm going to have to spend some money on this guy. He's going to be a lot. He's unproven. LAFC took all the risk for you. Now these guys leave and they come back. You know what they're capable of, right? If you're RSL, you go, well, we saw him score here. We saw what he's capable of. Let's throw him straight into the mix. Oh, yeah. Then he starts scoring right away. Uh, and then on the on the flip side with uh, Diego Rossi, you know what he's capable of. There's not a lot of mysteries there, right? It's whether his, his injuries, does he want to live in the city? Those types of things are, are a different conversation than the risk of bringing in a South American player um, that is unknown and you're taking a risk. You and I know, Jimmy, when we were at with uh, some of the clubs that we played for, you take a risk on, on guys. It's scouting is better than you have more access to footage, more accessibility. The globalization has made that easier, but you're still taking a risk with anybody that's not really well connected within your league. 
right. on whether or not they're going to pan out. And if you spent, take a big swing and it doesn't work, that's going to cost, that could cost the coach a job. No, absolutely. So interesting times here in the transfer window, especially for MLS. And speaking of MLS, we have some leagues cup to get into, and that's what we'll do after our second and last break of In Soccer We Trust. So don't go anywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to a Soccer with Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce and not Charlie Davies. We'll see him on Thursday. Don't worry, everyone. Again, that, that show will be 4 p.m. Eastern live. You're watching us here on the YouTubes at 1 p.m. Pacific. And we'll have a lot to get into as we do. And uh, we'll have some Milan news because they'll be playing Barcelona again tonight. So how they perform, how Pulisic performs, looks like everything's going great. But I promise some League's Cup. We're down to the round of 32, Heath Pierce. That means we get LAFC in the competition, and they're taking on Juarez from Liga MAX. And uh, yeah, I think what's interesting is that uh, Chivas Guadalajara finished bottom of their group, even though they're uh, doing well at the moment in Liga MAX. And yeah, we saw some pretty surprising performances. We also saw some teams that took it a little bit more serious than others. But when I see the the performances on the balance. Uh, Monterey looked great, and Tigres, not a big surprise, looked great, and and they seem to be the favorites from a from a Liga MAX perspective. And then uh, MLS, I think it's spread around a little bit. I mean, Charlotte took this pretty serious. I thought that uh, Miami, obviously, with this guy named Leo Messi, looked like they could be a threat. Heath Pierce. So this is a pretty interesting competition. Now that we're what ten days into it two weeks into it. How are you feeling about it overall? I still feel like it's going to take us probably three, four, five years to really appreciate and understand the impact of this competition because it's new. But I do like that we're getting into the knockout rounds and I believe that most of these teams are going to start to really try to ratchet it up and, and take it into another gear. Yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, I, and I spoke to Ben Olsen earlier today and and he was talking well, about... Like, uh, what? Geez, like let us know when you're about to flex on us. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> And he was talking about that. He actually thought that every club uh, was trying to get to the knockout rounds. Nobody took this less seriously because the implications now for the LA Galaxy, Jimmy, are that they've got basically three weeks or a little less than three weeks till their next game. That is not an ideal scenario. Now, that's good for resting up. That's good for a little recovery. But no game for three weeks is not a great thing. Is, okay. Can I jump in and say that the Bundesliga takes a break? In the middle of a season, uh, not that I like this. I'm just saying that, but there are leagues around the world that do have these little mini breaks throughout. Well, I mean, most of them do. Take advantage of, of it, and some of them don't. 
Yeah. I mean, most do out of England, uh, outside of England in terms of like taking a winter break. Um, but it, it, it's, they do a winter break and then you go into a training camp and then, you know, like it's a, and I, I'm not justifying it cause it is basically the same thing, but when somebody throws something into the middle of your season and it's got variables, the break that you have in the Bundesliga, Jimmy is the same every year. You could have a week break in, in uh, leagues cup. You could have a three week break and that's it. a hard thing to plan. So when we talk to a lot of these coaches, they've been talking about like, we've got four game plans, right? Knockout in the group stages. How do we handle the next three, three and a half weeks? We get knocked out in the round of 32. What do we do? We get knocked out in the round of 16. What do we do? Because it's just changes a lot. Not to say you can't handle it, but like, I don't know, three weeks without a game and then having to go straight back into the league. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It could go either way, I guess. You know, if you're a team that's on the mend like the Galaxy, who has a ton of injuries, do your players get back by then? Does it change the mood? Does it change the morale? I don't know. Um, but it w it was certainly not the thing that any coaches w that I spoke to wanted to deal with, which was a long break in the middle of the season and then get your players to keep their fitness and ramp up again or have some sort of significant game against a college team or whatever. No, I get that. I think that, again, that kind of falls, for me, falls into the camp of these teams and these clubs and coaches will figure out how to manage that probably a little bit smarter and more efficiently moving forward. Given the health of their team, how serious they want to approach this overall. I mean, the Seattle Sounders, who I thought, yeah, they probably could make a run. They have the talent. They've they won the CONCACAF Champions League. So so they are battle tested, as it were, and they kind of flamed out, you know. And and is that because of current form? Is it because they weren't really kicking it into gear? Did they want the rest? I mean, there's a whole I mean, bunch they're of not great right now as a team, you know. No, and, I know that. I know that. So you have all those dynamics of like this could be a turning moment, not necessarily to go and win it, but to get some results. And another thing yeah. that, that Ben Olsen had mentioned today was, was about how, how much his players are learning because the primary, like generally speaking, the style of play in Mexico, they're, they're happy to keep the game end to end. They're happy to keep the game wide open because they're so good in transition that if they leave three, four players up that are just absolute killers, they will punish you on that. And they're happy to put in that game that you develop, you can develop bad habits at times in MLS because you can get away with that, right? Very, there's maybe a handful of teams that will punish you consistently for a bad turnover or leaving the game wide open or overexposing yourself. Whereas the way that they play is built around yeah. punishing you over and over for that type of thing, which is like, you know, for our players to learn, that's a great thing to learn. Um, you know, uh, it, it is, it, it has been interesting to see MLS slapping some of these Mexican league teams, though. So I wonder how. We're talking almost from an MLS perspective, but what? It, how does Mexico and their teams approach this too going forward? Because all the home, all, I think it's interesting that all the games are here in the states. I get why they're doing it from a quote unquote financial standpoint, but I think this would make it a true competition if we had our MLS teams had to travel down to Mexico to play some home games. And I think we would, well, we'd all agree. I assume that that would be good for our player pool and just the players overall to continue to sharpen our teeth and get better as a league and, and individuals as players and teams and blah, 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 blah. All right. So there are two games that I think really stand out for me from an MLS perspective. We've got two derbies. We have the Red Bulls taking on NYCFC. So that'll be a fun one. And then we have Miami and this guy named Leo Messi and Sergio Busquets. And I get, apparently Jordi Alba might be making his debut. They're taking on Orlando. So a little bit of a Florida derby there. Apparently, there was a messy mural that was defaced in, in a local city in Miami. So that's, you know, not great. But it kind of 
with purple pair, we can Wynwood argue is, that it was Winwood is yeah. the arts district, and there's a lot of graffiti there, and so uh, you know. But, but clearly, purple paint feels very war. Orlando. Yeah, yeah. Is it? It could just be a guy that tripped and fell, Jimmy, and threw accidentally <laughs> on his way home from a painting job, and it's, accidentally it's, just it just flew out of his hand randomly. It's like over that grimace trend. Thing. It's yeah. like grimace, the yeah. grimace trend. Yeah. Some something uh, happened yeah. with grimace. Over there, this is all just a McDonald's, so, uh, the McDonald's advertisement for another deal, <laughs> Lionel Messi deal. Uh, that would be next level if that was actually the case. So, League's Cup, obviously, uh, round of 32 coming up, and it's going to play out. I believe the finals on August 19th. So, a lot of League's Cup games coming up for you over the next uh, two weeks, which should be a lot of fun. All right, let's uh, talk about Bruce Arena because apparently he's been placed on administrative leave over allegations of some insensitive and inappropriate remarks. This was the statement from MLS that uh, the New England Revolution sporting director and head coach, Bruce Arena, has been placed on that, what I just said. And um, Kurt Anolfo, who coaches there, New England Revolution 2, is taking over as the sporting director as of now. Richie Williams will be the interim coach until this all gets resolved. Uh, I'm kind of surprised Heath, because I've always known Bruce to be pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I haven't seen any. I, I wonder where this is coming from, what he said. But but I've never seen or witnessed or heard of any of these types of things before. He does have, he, he can give you that, uh, the snide remarks and criticism. I've seen that per se. So maybe he pushed it too far with one particular player or i don't know i'm, I'm very curious to see uh, the details of this yeah. but but in light of petrovich's him being maybe there's some petrovich stuff here but this that feels so recent that this feels like there's been this has been maybe a longer more drawn out issue i don't know i'm, I'm this is so much speculation for me but yeah. but given Same. my experience with him it, i've never had i've never seen he's always been kind of a a man manager a player manager and and so I, I kind of wonder where this is coming from. Yeah, I fully agree. I was thinking about it when it first came out and I was like, what do I hope he said? You know, like in terms <laughs> oh, of like, no, no, like <laughs> in, in terms of like the ramifications on the spectrum of saying bad things. Is it, did he make a, you know, uh, I remember, I remember uh, there was always opportunities in meal rooms in the national team, right? To tell jokes. And there were certain people, this has actually nothing to do with Bruce Arena, but there are always people that were kind of put together by the staff to be the joke tellers, right? And the type of joke had evolved over my entire time. And from what I understand and heard talking to a few people, that the jokes evolved significantly over the last, call it 15 years, right? And that at one point, there was a joke that was one of the funniest jokes at certain points was now this joke that somebody had actually gone up to that person telling the joke and said, hey, I'm actually, that joke actually made me really uncomfortable. And it became a thing, right? Like of, of telling a joke, like a joke that's that's just off color and, and, and outdated and whatever um, versus, you know, a million other things that it could be in terms of a, of a, of a personal attack or whatever. I, again, I think that's where I, where my mind was going. And I realized like, there's not really like a, you know, I'm not sure if it is binary right or, or, or wrong with what we're dealing with. Cause we're just speculating totally. I'm just wonder, I'm just more curious as to which way it went, you know, where, what, what actually took place, what went down, what said, was it a repeat offense? Is it something that had been flagged previously? Was it an attack on somebody, a personal attack, or was it an off color 
remark as as a joke that that um, again um, has no place in the game. I guess you know. Yeah, we're gonna learn. We're, we're definitely gonna learn more as time goes on, and and uh, yeah, I'm curious. I mean, for for Bruce to be placed on administrative leave means there's something pretty significant going on. Um, otherwise, I feel like you just could have dealt with it internally. But but uh, That's a good point. Yeah, That's a good point. Yeah, so so we're gonna learn more. Uh, it's unfortunate. I think that uh, I can't speak for you, Heath, but I, I've always looked up to Bruce Serena, and and maybe that's because I always wanted his his attention because I wanted to get into the national team for so long, and he finally finally gave me that opportunity. And when I did, I feel like I made the most of it, and he took me to a World Cup. So obviously, if any coach takes you, a World yeah, we Cup, can't uh, listen to what you're saying. Cup. We can't think about your thoughts, Jimmy. No, you I know? get that, but he I took just you to a World I, Cup. I, I, well, I'm just throwing that out there that that. Uh, I've always looked up to him in that way. So when when you start to hear that, you know, and I obviously was disappointed in, in what happened in 2018 when the when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. But that was more of on a coaching side. And but but this feels a little, could be a little bit different. And, and you know, when you have your heroes and they become fallible, and it's hard. It's hard. So so this is me. I'm giving you my own personal vulnerability about yeah. how I'm feeling. No, about I this. just hope but, that but, I, I hope that they they do the proper investigation and there's the correct consequences that they don't get caught up in the fear of like cancel culture and those things that they look at it through a clear lens and address it and 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 have it play out the way that I think is best for 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 whoever is either impacted or the organization and the people and all that sort of stuff. That's you know obviously that's what we all hope for and that's not always you know what you get. Um, in today's world yeah so let's uh let's end this one on a positive note heath pierce uh, i'm gonna go with the u.s women's national team with our final thoughts listen we only gave up one goal in three games in the group stages <laughs> mm. undefeated in the group stages and uh what's a women's world cup without us playing sweden it just has to be that's just the way the world works and uh more often than not we we do pretty well though in 2011 they beat us in the group stages the only time we've ever lost in the group stages so we'll see We'll see how this goes. I, I'm hopeful for a rebound and for us to put out our best performance. We still haven't seen that yet. We're starting to see versions of that with other teams. But just to keep everything in consideration, Germany looked great in game one, got slapped. Not slapped, but they got beat by Colombia. We saw Spain. Everybody was like, oh, Spain, 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 Spain. Japan's like, yeah, we're just going to sit back and counter and score three goals on three shots. And, and Japan, excellent, excellent performance. They slapped Spain around and really laid the blueprint for how to beat a team like Spain. So it's not... A guarantee, right? Nothing's easy, and, and and it shouldn't be if you're trying to win a World Cup. So, so I just yes, there's a lot of work to do, but obviously going to continue to support our women's national team despite my disappointment currently. And now I turn it back into a negative. Turn, make it a positive again, Heath. Make it a positive again. Uh, the positive to me is just again, you're talking about. I believe this was was this Portugal's first World Cup. It is, yes, it is. And you see the quality that they have and the talent that they have. That to me is a positive sign of just trending in the right direction for the global women's sport. And they played like they deserved to go into the knockout rounds. Obviously, devastated to not make it. But like you said, they're a team that had the quality when they when they needed to have it. Defensively, they were sound. They were super organized. They were willing to fight. They were willing to make the U.S. suffer for long periods. And again, saved by uh, you know the difference of, of of a post could change things. And that just shows you, especially in a World Cup now, the savvy of being able to go out and win a game, potentially win a game by just being really strong, disciplined, let another team have the ball. When they have it, even I mean, the U.S. didn't do much with it, so maybe this is a <laughs> but they competed and 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 I think that's a, a really great thing. That's a positive for me. That uh, that's a know, positive. I think I think, the, I think the, the the depth of the World Cup is going to get better and better with each one, um, and and ultimately make it harder, which is going to ultimately make the World Cup more entertaining across the board 
uh, and, and ways that we'd never seen, which I think is great for the sport. Yeah, it's great for the sport. I actually am as long as the U.S. women win it every time. Of course, like of course. we can have close games, but as long as the U.S. women win it, uh, you know, all of it, it's win-win for everybody. That's why I love the expanded tournament. We're also getting a lot of fun stories, like the Philippines and Haiti, and and yeah. them having wins in this particular tournament's only going to continue. I hope for them to get investment so that our infrastructure grows. And to your point, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And, and by the way, that's, Jimmy, that's a positive. And by the way. The rest of the world hates the U.S. women's national team, for the record. <laughs> they don't like them. They don't think about them. They don't want them to win. They think they're spoiled. They think they're overrated. That's what the rest of the world thinks. And when you're on top, that's what they're going to think. And I think the more that you have more quality teams around that, right, because nobody's looking at it through the lens that we are, which is like this privileged position of like, are we going to go back to back to back? I hope we are. <laughs> the rest of the world is like, no, I hope they all fall flat on their faces in the, not, in the group stages. Like there was a, and there was it. a sigh for, for the rest of the tournament uh, teams when the U.S. snuck through on that one because they're like, oh, man. Because also, they might find a rhythm and get really, really good. And then that's the team you don't want to play. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, there's been eight Women's World Cups prior to this one, and the U.S. have won four of them. So I can understand why everybody uh, doesn't like playing against us and doesn't want to support us around the world. And we've never gotten worse than third in a Women's World Cup, Heath. So... We'll see. We'll see if we make any records uh, in a different way. But that's it. We're done with Insoccery Trust. Thank you for listening and watching. As always, we really value and appreciate your support. So on behalf of Producer Daz, Producer Alex, Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies, Hollywood Heath Pierce, and myself, Jimmy Trash Can Cream Cheese, Connor Dino Conrad. I got it right. Yes. After stumbling at the very beginning, we will see you in a couple days. And we're going to get after it like we always do. So enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Later. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.